This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Navy spent $18.4 billion on small business prime contracts last year. Navy officials want to create even more opportunities for small businesses in fiscal 2023 and hold large contractors accountable for their subcontracting commitments. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday has the latest, and this was from a presentation by the Navy at its IT day. Justin, what does the, or how does the Navy plan to increase contracts from this pretty high level to begin with? That's right. This fiscal year, the Navy will take five large contracts and break them up into smaller awards so small businesses and others can compete for the work. This came out, as you said, at the Naval IT Day hosted by AFCIA Nova in McLean, Virginia this week. Jimmy Smith, the director of the Office of Small Business Programs at the Department of the Navy, presented, and he said this this, uh, pilot program with the five contracts could help small businesses and disadvantages disadvantaged businesses compete for awards. Uh, it could also help the service meet the goals of President Joe Biden's executive order on advancing racial equity and support for underserved communities through the federal government. Smith talked about how they know prime contractors are going to smaller subcontractors anyway, so the Navy might as well break up those contracts. And we know that the primes are going to the subs anyway. Contracting with them directly Something we can do, we can save the pass-through money and get more capability or more service out of that dollar than just giving a bonus to the industry partner to just pass the money through and take that percentage off the top. That sounds like a practical approach. And why is this such a priority for the Navy, Justin? Yeah, well, the Navy has exceeded its small business goals over the past five years. As you mentioned at the top, they spent $18.4 billion on small business prime contracts last year. But Navy Secretary Carlos del Toro is actually a former uh, small government contractor himself running a small business just before he joined the Biden administration. And Smith said del Toro made increasing opportunities for small businesses a top priority when he came in. Del Toro also spoke at the Naval IT Day conference, and he said increasing competition is a key priority when it comes to alleviating supply chain problems and other challenges facing the Navy. Sometimes over the course of the last, you know, 10 years or so, there have been a lot of contracts that have been bundled together and have made it hard for medium-sized companies and small companies to compete on. And I'm very sensitive to that fact because I don't think it's good for the taxpayer. Competition is what's important as well. And so we have to have, you know, healthy competition across all sectors in order to build efficiencies for the American taxpayer as well. And again, that's Navy Secretary Carlos del Toro. Justin, the Navy had other plans and other ways it said it would address small business concerns. That's right. This is something that's been percolating over the last couple of years. Workshare agreements where prime contractors agree as part of a contract to share the work with small businesses uh, as subcontractors at the outset of a contract. And the Navy has found over the past year that prime contractors aren't always living up to those commitments. And this is another priority of Del Toro's, according to Jimmy Smith, the director of Office of Small Business Programs at the Navy. They want to ensure that these prime contractors are not using small businesses as bait to win contracts and then failing to live up to those work share agreements. When the secretary meets with the CEO for that given large industry partner company, one of the first questions that he asked that CEO is, so how are you doing on your work share agreements and honoring those commitments that you gave to those subcontractors that you promised to give work to? 
And trust me, he's already seen the data about a week and a half before that large industry partner shows up. And it's a very in-your-face conversation about we want you to start honoring your work share agreements. And again, that's Jimmy Smith, the director of the Office of Small Business Programs at the Navy. Last year, the Navy began auditing its 10 buying commands to determine whether primes were indeed living up to those work share agreements. Smith says that so far they're finding differences in the numbers and they're going to take actions to get after that. And with respect to the large contractors that also have to meet subcontracting goals, the Navy is going to find ways to incentivize that, correct? That's right. There's going to be a carrot and stick approach here. So this year, the Navy will put terms into five contracts, again, a separate pilot project than what we mentioned earlier. But five new contracts will get these incentive terms to actually incentivize prime contractors to meet their work share agreements through increases in percentages of payments and things like that. Smith says it'll be on a case-by-case basis in terms of how they approach that. And then the Navy will also include terms in those contracts that will allow the service to withhold payments if they find that the company is failing to live up to those agreements. After the initial five contracts this fiscal year, the Navy will look to use this new approach more broadly across the service. Federal News Network's Justin Doubleday, thanks so much for that report. You got it, Tom. And be sure to check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. After an exemplary career as a former executive at the FBI, focused on policy and strategy, Sasha O'Connell, Ph.D., is guiding future federal leaders as the executive in residence in the School of Public Affairs at American University. Sasha joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss her exciting career, the future of the federal workforce, and the lessons she's learned along the way. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Sasha O'Connell. Sasha is an executive in residence in the Department of Justice, Law, and Criminology at the School of Public Affairs at American University and spent the majority of her career at the FBI and most recently as the organization's chief policy advisor, science and technology and the section chief of office and policy for the FBI's deputy director. Sasha, welcome. Jane, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Can you give us an example of someone early in your career that motivated you? And then, and, and how did, what does that look like? Sure, absolutely. So it sounds almost cliche, but it was the dining room table. So I grew up um, with a stepfather who spent 30 years at the Veterans Administration at the VA. And he talked at the dinner table. He started as a social worker and then sort of rose up into management, administration, and leadership. And his stories, right, and his approach really, really impacted me. My mom, interestingly, ended up in a career in public service. She was a prosecutor. She's currently a retired state superior court judge. Um, But she had a big career change also in her 40s. She went back to law school in her 40s. So getting all of that in the mix at a young age at the dinner table really, really impacted me um, in really specific ways. Yeah, that's amazing. My my father was part of um, the generation that took um, President Kennedy's call to action. And he took that to heart, and he went and worked at the Department of Interior and a number of other places in federal service. So it's, it's catching when when you're around it. You've held a number of leadership roles at the FBI, which is historically a male-dominated organization. What skills or traits helped you most as you navigated that? Yeah, it's such a, it's an interesting and challenging yeah. sort of situation and question. One 
don't think I still am reflecting on it. I've been out of the FBI about six years, and I'm sort of still thinking about it. I think the bottom line was when I was there, and I really grew up there, um, I, didn't, I didn't know any different. I grew up with male cousins and brothers, and you know, it was sort of a continuation of, of my existence. So it did, you know, in retrospect, it, it was a really unique situation, but it didn't necessarily feel that way for me at the time. I think staying mission-focused, staying not about me, staying flexible in terms of problem-solving all helped me. I will say there's resources today that weren't there when I was there, or certainly when I was starting out. There's a lot of affinity groups for women in national security, women in federal law enforcement. And I will say I think I would have really benefited from access to those kind of resources as I was coming up. Um, I had both incredible mentors, men and women, um, women across the organization who I became very close with, who were incredible supports, not just getting the job and starting out, but sort of matriculating through. But again, I'm really sort of proud of and involved in some of the work of those external organizations that bring women across government, um, executive women in government, and those kind of organizations together, because I think it is really, really helpful um, as one moves through. Yeah, we, we actually work with a, a number of those, too, and, and go to their events and conferences and support them because it's important. How has your leadership style developed or changed over the years? Well, I think I've gotten a little more confident in it, right? The seeds were there at that dining room table. One thing um, that carried through that I learned from my stepdad was to focus on the process. He would talk at dinner about big ideas or big changes and how to get from here to there was part of his day job, something he thought about explicitly, was getting other people on board, getting that stakeholder engagement, getting other people to think it was their idea if that was required. And that's something I started out with as a gift, right, that kind of approach. And then I got confidence in that, and then I added things. I will say, as I moved on, my appreciation for taking care of is maybe the wrong word, but really focusing on the people who work with you and for you in some instances um, you know, making sure that they have what they need to be successful in a tactical way. But then also something I definitely learned at the FBI as I went along is, you know, the importance of creating an environment that is supportive and inspiring. You know, we joke about it, but food has played a pretty serious role um, in my leadership style over time. Um, I learned from great mentors. I worked with Bill Estevez at the FBI who had a full-scale cappuccino maker at his cubicle, right, and would host coffee hour, and you'd see the steam rising across the cubicles. Um, I worked with a, a great friend who used to carry hot frittatas for breakfast celebrations or on, the, on the metro, right, in one of those sort of coolie bags. Um, and so I've sort of, I think it's been additive in terms of learning, gaining confidence in my approach, and then adding these pieces as I go that I've certainly learned from mentors and colleagues. And clearly you never let anything get in your way. You were mission-focused, as you mentioned, and you just got the job done no matter what was in front of you. Well, I wish, I wish, and it was, it was that easy. I mean, I think we had a lot of success. Um, one thing has always been my approach when starting out as a leader, too, is to solve near-term problems. I always say sort of deliver short, and then you can push them long, right? So we've, we don't always succeed in those long-term goals or those, you know, sort of blue-sky ideas as leaders we want to achieve, um, but we deliver on those short-term pieces, right? And you get that buy-in from the stakeholders. And then often you can push toward those bigger dreams, hopes, aspirations, and goals. Um, I would like to say I was 100% on both fronts. <laughs> I'm not sure your characterization is 100% accurate there, but I'll take it um, in, this, in this sense. Looking back, what, what's one piece of advice you might have given your younger self when you first started? 
Yeah, it's it's interesting today too. Working with students, I get that chance, right, to give my essentially my younger self um, advice every day. And one thing we talk a lot about, and I wish I had thought more explicitly about, is really it's about calibration, right? And so I always think Emeril Lagasse would say, like, a stove has dials for a reason, right? It's not like all hot or all cold. And I think it's the same here. In some ways, in my career, I had to learn to tone it down, right? And to, you know, certainly at the FBI, sometimes you need to take that backseat at a meeting and wait to be invited to the table. And that's really the appropriate way to build rapport, relationships, and trust. Other times, I needed to learn to tune it up, right, to up the volume a little bit. Um, I had a wonderful boss, Dave Schlendorf, who we were in a meeting together with big bosses at the FBI once, and I was working for Dave. And we left the meeting, and we were walking back to the office, and I made a point. I don't even remember what the point was now. And he stopped in the hall and said, why didn't you say that in the meeting? You're not helping me, right? Telling me this now, now I have to go back and fix this. And I realized, so, well, sometimes you have to tone it down. Sometimes you have to tone it up. And that modulation, that sort of volume control about when to lean in and out, if you will, um, that's, you know, even just thinking about that explicitly for folks starting out, I think is really helpful because it's not one size fits all. Right. I I totally agree and understand that it isn't one size fits all. And a lot of leadership is described in bumper stickers, sayings, and I don't think that's realistic. I think it's situationally dependent, and you have to be self-aware and aware of your circumstances to adjust. That's well said. You're training the next generation, or helping to train them, federal leaders through AU's School of Public Affairs. How, How do we encourage, how do you encourage young people to answer the call of federal service? You know, I'm so lucky at AU. We, we draw in, right, students who are primed for this um, and who are passionate when they walk in our doors. Even with that population, you know, there, there are headwinds, right? USA Jobs, right? just even getting educated, these pieces. So, so helping with that is a whole set of work. I'm also really passionate about, as you point out, reaching out to a diversity of folks who haven't even thought about these careers as careers. I had a conversation with a young woman the other day, and she was talking about law school. It's, I'm, I'm fully supportive of law school, and I said, have you ever thought about a career in, in federal service? And she said, uh, isn't that for old people? <laughs> I said, uh, <laughs> um, okay. So, you know, I mean, there's an education to do, right? Clearly, she's never seen the softball leagues, you know, down in the mall or kickball or any of the fun we all have in town where we certainly did when we were younger. But I, I really try, again, podcasts like this and other venues to put myself out there and really talk about what it's like, the opportunities I had at the FBI to be in the middle of the mission space and to explain that the federal government needs all kinds of skills, right, and diversity of thought, right, and diversity of people. So so there's that sort of working with the group that's primed for us, and we need to help them get over those barriers, get in and then stay and stay um, engaged and passionate and then there's reaching those new audiences. And there's a lot of work both places, but it's a lot of fun to work with young folks who are passionate about it. So I'm really lucky in my current job. And career civil service is a great path if somebody wants to take it. Our board is 100% SES level career civil servants. They are all dedicated. They have a real passion for what they're doing. They could go work anywhere, but they choose federal service. And there's no place, I always tell young folks who ask me about it, there's no place you're going to get the level of responsibility quickly as you do in federal service, right? And, and yeah, sometimes things move slow. It's supposed to move slow, right? We talk about the reasons for that, too. But there's, there's really no other industry, maybe some startups you might get this experience, but really where you can be in the middle of mission space, whether you're 
passionate about the environment or national security or healthcare, you know, public health, and you're going to get in there quickly <laughs> and you're going to get in the mix and get exposure, experience, and opportunity for impact that's really unlike any other career. Perfect. Well, thank you, Sasha, and thanks to everyone for listening. I'm Shane Canfield, and this has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. Talk to you next time. Reconnect with a carpool or van pool. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, Commuter Connections can match you with others that live and work near or at the same place as you. Prefer taking the bus or train? There's never been a better time to reconnect with transit. Plus, you have the added comfort of knowing Guaranteed Ride Home is there for any unexpected emergency for free. For more options, visit commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. Some restrictions apply. Right now, Amazon is offering some amazing extra perks that come with a job offer. If you start a warehouse job, you can get a $1,000 sign-on bonus. That means you start earning a paycheck right away, plus you get extra cash to use before the holidays. Applying is so easy, you don't even need an interview. It's never been so rewarding to start an hourly job that's close to home. So what are you waiting for? To join the team today, visit Amazon.com slash sign-on bonus. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.